Well, I'm glad that you're here this morning, everyone online. I'm so thankful for you tuning in and being a part of what Jesus is doing at Red Hills Church. Uh, We're starting a brand new series this month called Do You See What I See? And this series is about our perceptions and it's about our vision and it's how we see the story. And sometimes we perceive the Christmas story not in an accurate biblical way, but oftentimes it's through our own lens and through our own filters. And do you see what I see? Uh, We named it after the song, Do You Hear What I Hear from Bing Crosby. But we're going to put ourselves into the shoes of the characters this month of December. Uh, And we're going to see the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus through their eyes and through uh, their perceptions. And uh, and I want to do this because there are a lot of misconceptions about the Christmas story. What do, what do I mean? That there are some things that we believe in that aren't necessarily in the Bible. They've been handed down to us through tradition, uh, maybe through uh, popular culture, through movies, or even uh, the Christmas cartoons as, as a child. Uh, maybe even if you're old enough to remember the flannel graphs in Sunday school. Uh, does anybody know what a flannel graph? All right, you're my people. Um, we didn't have the fancy, like, you know, TVs and iPads and all that. Uh, but, but there's some misconceptions about a Christmas story. And so before I jump into the scripture today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. I want to give you a quiz. I want to give you a test. Some of you students, you didn't know you, you were going to get tested today. Uh, all right, just preparing you for finals in a couple weeks. Um, so misconceptions about the Christmas story. I'm going to give you a statement. Some of these are true and false. Some of them are an answer. And I want you to shout out to me whether it's true or false. Are you ready for this? All right. Now, you have permission to shout out true or false. Oftentimes, I've done this before, and people come up to me, and after me afterward, and they say, Aaron, I knew every single one. I said, but you didn't shout out. So don't come up to me and say you knew them all if you didn't shout out the answer. All right. The first one is a true or false Question. Oftentimes, our nativity scenes uh, that we buy, that we see, they have a star uh, in the nativity scene. So here is my statement. You tell me if it's true or false. There was a star on the night that Jesus was born. All right. I got some people over here said false. I got some people mumble over here. Some of you don't want to be wrong. So you're like, true, false? All right. (laughs) The answer is... The answer is false. It is false. The star was not given to the shepherds. The star was given to the wise men. In fact, not only was the star not present when Jesus was born, the wise men were not present when he was born. The scripture says that the star led the magi after he was born. In fact, some people believe it could have been as late as two years old that Jesus stayed in Bethlehem and the wise men actually came. So, uh, all right, you're doing you're doing half and half, all right? You're doing okay. The next one is a question, and the first thing that comes to mind, I want you to shout out. How many wise men were there? All right. I didn't even understand that. All right? A a lot of people might think that there were three, but the fact is the Bible doesn't tell us. 
All it says is that there were wise men, magi, plural, but it doesn't say there was at least two, but there could have been 20. We think there's three because of the three gifts that were given at Christmas, but the Bible does not actually tell us. Um, all right, here's the next one. True or false? The innkeeper said there was no room at the inn. All right, all right. You all got that one wrong. It is false. There is no innkeeper in the biblical story, all right? There's no innkeeper. In fact, some people believe there is no inn. The actual wording is a place to stay. And so oftentimes what people think and what people believe is that is a house, people's houses, family members, that there is no place to stay. So you all got that one wrong, all right? But that was a little bit of a trick question. Uh, so I'll make this next one easier for you. True or false, Jesus was born in a stable. Now you don't even know what to answer. I love it. You're like, Aaron's going to get me. I'm not going to say the answer and then be embarrassed later. All right. Uh, uh, false. We actually don't know a tradition. Um, if you go to Bethlehem, Jesus would be in, like the, the birthplace of Jesus is a cave. Uh, but it, the Bible doesn't say. It says they laid him in a manger. Um, but the Bible says that there was no room or no guest room, no place to stay. So one scholar I read said that maybe they stayed in the main living room of a house because there was no guest room, no place to lay the child. And so they grabbed this manger from outside and brought it in. All right, here's the last one, and then we'll move on, and we'll get serious about what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, is, is this true or false? Jesus was born on December 25th. False. All right, false. You know, you know, you're go, you know where I'm going. Um, Jesus, most people, there is consensus around, we don't know the actual date, that he was born in the spring, either March, April, or May, but most people believe that he was not actually born on December 25th. There are a lot of misconceptions about the Christmas story. That's only five. I could keep going. Uh, but, but here's what I want to talk about today, is I want to talk about a fresh perspective, because our perception determines our perspective. And if you're taking notes, that you can write that down. Our perception in life determines our perspective in life. How you see things determine how you interpret things and how you understand things. Everyone Everyone sees from a different perspective. We all have a filter that we read and interpret the world through. And I'm going to call this a lens. It's as if your life experiences have given you glasses in which you see the world. And so uh, no one is truly biased in the world because we all see through our own lens and our own experiences and our own perspectives. And oftentimes, we only see what we want to see. One of the greatest personal growths that we can have as humans in our emotional maturity, and I think in this season of where our city is in and our state is in and country is in, one of the greatest growth is to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, to allow ourselves to see what they see. 
And it doesn't mean you have to agree with what they agree with, but it does mean that if you allow yourself to see from someone else's perspective, you can understand where they are coming from. In this Christmas story, I want us to see from a different perspective. I want us to see from the perspective of the characters and the narrative and not overlay our own experiences upon the story or our own versions of the Christmas story. I want us to see what they saw. I want us to put ourselves in their shoes. And so we're going to look at the story from the perspective of Mary. And then next week, we're going to look at the story from the perspective of the shepherds. The following week, we're going to look at the story from the perspective of the wise men. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the story from the perspective of heaven. What did heaven see when Jesus was born? And by the way, let me just mention Christmas Eve while I'm talking about it. This year, we finally get back to a live Christmas Eve gathering. And so everything that we're doing in December is leading up to our gatherings. We're going to do three gatherings, one on Christmas Eve Eve at 6 p.m. December 23rd and 2 on Christmas Eve at 4 and 6 p.m. on December 24th. And so I want to encourage you to be here on Christmas Eve. Go online, sign up, RSVP, let us know if you're coming and how many people are coming in your party so we can plan and prepare as we talk about on that night what heaven's perspective is. You see, when we look at the story with a fresh perspective, we see things that we didn't see before. Oftentimes there are plot twists and there are nuances in the story that, 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 that when you get the story through pop culture, you don't always see. But when you actually read the Bible, you can see things that you normally don't see. And we ask questions that we normally don't ask about the birth of Jesus. Like, why was Jesus born in such a humble way? Why wasn't there more pomp and circumstance around his birth? Why did it seem so secretive in Bethlehem that he was born in a cave or uh, an area of, of Israel where nobody knew what was happening except a few shepherds and some wise men? And what we'll find is that there are some ridiculous plot twists. Like there's a scandalous pregnancy and then there's a fiance who's thinking about leaving his wife, his fiance, because she's pregnant. All right? And, and then there's a manger, a stinky, smeller, smelly manger. Right? And I'm thinking when I read the story, like, where is Providence Hospital when you need it? Right? The birthing clinic, the doulas, the midwives, like, the, the, there is nothing there. Why? You know, I often think about this, that, that, that God had a long time to plan for the birth of Jesus. And in fact, if, if we believe what the Bible says in the Trinity, that Jesus was there at the beginning of creation, then Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit had forever to plan this one day. And it seemed like there was very poor planning involved, Right? There, there wasn't a castle, like there, there, there wasn't a palace, right? There weren't, there weren't anyone to help Mary through the labor. Like, like, I mean, it was just, it just seems like a mess. It just seems disorganized and it seems maybe even confusing. You know, I think the way the story is written is proof that God wrote it and not that it was made up by man. Because if 
man or woman makes up the story, they often add details that the Bible wouldn't. And we might make the story more about prestige or power or heroes in the story. And some of us might even put ourselves as the hero of the story because that's kind of what we like to do. But I think the story is written the way it is because it's a lot more like our lives than we realize. Even though we try to write our own stories and we want them to work out, they often don't work out. The plot changes. There's circumstances that cause confusion, right? We, we say to ourselves, this isn't how life was supposed to work out. I was supposed to be married by now. I was supposed to have kids by now. My kids were supposed to be following Jesus by now. I was supposed to be in a career that I love by now. There are so many things. I was supposed to have enough money for retirement by now. There are a lot of things in our stories that don't always work out the way that we think they're going to work out. And perhaps God wrote the story the way he did because it's more like real life than we imagine. You see, the Jesus story, the gospel story, has never been a fairy tale, right? It's never been a tale. A fairy tale is exactly that, a made-up story where all things work out happily ever after in every part of the way. God chose to reveal his son the way he did because it was a lot more like life. It was a lot more like what we experience. And in order for us to trust him and trust our word, trust his word, he had to come and experience what we experience. You see, this is the point of the incarnation. Incarnation is God in the flesh. For Jesus to come and identify with what humans experienced and and to suffer a death that humans could see, ultimately to show us a better way to experience what we experience, to be tempted like we are tempted, but experience life a better way. And so today I want to get into the scriptures. I want you to begin to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to put ourselves into the shoes of one character today who is shocked and surprised by the news of this child who knows what it's like to be blindsided, to face drama, uncertainty, fear, and confusion. It is the mother of Jesus, Mary. So we're going to start in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. This is what the word of the Lord says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this was. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Listen to the words of Mary. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary experiences some bewildering news. Right? Shocking news that she's pregnant with a child, right? And for her, this, you know, for us, the news of Jesus is good news, but for an unwed, pregnant teenager, this isn't good news right away, all right? In fact, for Mary, her life is now in jeopardy because in Jewish law, it was against the law to get pregnant out of wedlock. And you could be subjected to stoning by your peers or by the elders or by the men of the community if you violated this law. So Mary's life is in jeopardy. And it's not unlike if someone got pregnant today who was a teenager, there would be shame. Although it takes two people, all right? One always walks around with the shame. And Mary would have to carry this child, would have to face her husband, would have to face her family members saying, did, did an angel really come to you, right? What, what did this angel actually look like? And there's this ridiculous plot twist in the story that this young, uh, uh, teenage, unwed teenager is pregnant. Imagine the fear that she would face. Uh, imagine the uncertainty. How, how, is all, how are all things going to work out? Right? How, how are we going to pay for raising this child? Like, where are we going to have this child? What, are my, what is my family going to think? What are my friends going to think? Imagine the fear, the uncertainty, the anxiety, and the stress. A child is forming inside of her, and all that she did in life was remain faithful to God. I mean, she lived her life the way that she was supposed to live her life, and she finds out that she's pregnant. It's bewildering and confusing. I don't know if you've ever experienced uncertainty in your life. I'm sure many of us have. Some of you might be in uncertain times in your life now. Your life might be reflecting the culture that we're in, what's going to happen. I remember a time in my life several years ago of uncertainty and uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, b before Brienne and I came to uh, Red Hills Church, uh, we were youth pastors at a, an amazing church in, in Gresham, and we were there for eight years. And, and I remember, uh, if you know anything uh, uh, about uh, youth pastors, is youth pastors are usually the lowest paid people in the church, all right? It's kind of the, um, oftentimes viewed as the entry-level job for ministry. In fact, one of my friends and I found out that the, that the uh, custodian was making more than us as pastors. And, uh, uh, and so I got paid, when I got hired, I got paid $12 an hour. Uh, and, um, you know, now I look, I could make more at McDonald's than, than uh, I could as a pastor. Um, and uh, I remember being in the season, Brian and I, we had two kids, our oldest, Joseph and Jack, and she was pregnant with one on the way. And... 
uh, with our daughter, Sophia. And uh, there's just a season where, um, where our expenses were uh, more than our income. You see, when Brienne got pregnant with our first child, we made a decision that she was going to stay home and we were going to live off of one income. And so we went from dinks, dual income, no kids, to uh, near poverty level of income. And, and so through this time, we, we began to see as we had more kids, because more kids cost more money, all right? And money is mainly tied up in diapers. Like uh, we changed more diapers than probably most people have, and, and we, we also couldn't afford the biggest garbage can outside, so we had the littlest garbage can. You know what I'm talking about, parents? And you shove those diapers down as far as you can, and then you throw a few into the neighbors because they're not looking. And so we are, we're struggling financially, and, and I look at my bank account, and by the way, we're doing the Dave Ramsey things. We don't take out credit cards. We do the envelope system. I mean, I record my finances, our expenses, and we're short $400 every month. And I look at our bank account in, in my savings account, and I have $1,500 to my name, all right? And uh, this isn't what God t promised me when I said yes to ministry, all right? And, uh, uh, and so it doesn't take a genius to figure out we've got about three and a half months before we're completely broke. And it's an uncertain time in our life. I, I, honestly, it was a time where I did not know what to do. And as a man and as a husband and a father, I was willing to do whatever it took to provide and care for my family. And I remember even going through the Christmas time and thinking, you know, it, it, you know, we're giving people the hope of Jesus and, and my wife and I and our family are struggling, right? And it's hard to put Christmas presents under the tree. And it was just an uncertain time in our life, a time where we struggled in our life. And some of you may be facing an uncertainty in your life right now. And your gut reaction is to react in fear, right? I, I think Mary's first reaction when she told, she's told she's pregnant is this. It's how can this be, right? She doesn't say, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm so happy, right? It's how can this be? Like, I, I've done everything you've asked me to do. How can I be pregnant? Nothing happened. We didn't even kiss, all right? Nothing, nothing has happened. How can this be? I think oftentimes when we're in a place of uncertainty, fear can rise up within us. And when fear rises up within us, it induces anxiety. In fact, when, if you have anxieties in your life, and I'm working through this even in my own life, is that oftentimes your anxieties can be traced back to a fear that you have. And my anxiety attacks me at night. I don't know if anybody else is like that. In the middle of the night, I wake up, and my anxiety attacks me, and I think of all these things that I can't do and all these things that, that I can't solve, and, but it's rooted in a fear. It's rooted in a fear in the middle of Mary's uncertainty, how can this be moment, the angel gives her this word. He says this, for no word from God will ever fail. 
for no word from God will ever fail. Mary's response in verse 38, I think it's amazing. I think it should be our response to the Lord. She says this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Let me translate into that, into our language today. God, I believe in you and I trust you. I believe in you and I trust you. See, some of you may be facing uncertainty in your life today. You may be having fear. You may be having anxiety. You may be having stress. What do we do when we're facing uncertain times? We do what Mary did. When you want to react with fear, you respond with faith. When you want to react with fear, you respond with faith. When everything inside you wants to run, to leave, to give up, to give in, you respond with faith. It is saying to the Lord, I believe you and I trust you. So the conclusion to my story and my life, do I get a second job? I, I actually put an ad on Craigslist. <laughs> To, 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 to find some work in order to make ends meet. And Brianne and I prayed about it. I remember very vividly, and my wife is a lot more godly than I am. And she hears from the Lord, because I'm just like, I'm going to go make this happen. And she says, I, I, we're not supposed to do that. We're, we're supposed to focus on the thing that God has put in front of us, pastoring and shepherding a group of teenage students. And we're going to be faithful to God in this moment. And so we decided to be faithful to God in that moment. A couple months later, I'm on vacation with my best friend, uh, Zach and Laura. We're at some cabin. Somebody let us borrow and stay in on this lake. And I get a call from my boss on vacation. And, um, and, and he says, Aaron, I, I just wanted to tell you, ask you something. And, and, and by the way, this is like in the middle of the uh, recession. And our church that we were a part of took a big hit, like many churches financially in recessions. So a lot of people were getting laid off. And I thought, well, you know, this is great. I'm on vacation. Am I losing my job? He says, Aaron, I want to I ask you something. He said, we're, we're getting ready to lay off some people. Okay, great. I'm listening. He goes, I want you to pray about this new position at our church. Uh, the, the position is the student ministries director position. All right, well, let me pray about it. Okay, I'm in, all right? <laughs> yes. And so he totally ruined my vacation, um, uh, calling me on vacation, but also it was an answer to our prayers. And you know, the most amazing thing is I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to make it Happen, And as I got back, it came with a promotion that came with a raise that covered our expenses and allowed us to stay in that place and be faithful any uh, even longer. Listen, when you're facing uncertainty in your life, the temptation is to make things happen on your own power and in your own way. But sometimes the best thing to do is to wait on the Lord. It is to wait on the Lord, to believe in his word for no word from God will ever fail. For Mary, I think about Mary's life. I think about the life of a mother, just in general, right? There are a lot of anxiety-inducing events as a mom, all right? And think about Mary's life. Think she's not going to know where she's going to have her child, 
right? She lost Jesus as a little boy. Remember, they're coming back from Egypt. And I don't know, have you ever lost your child before? Like at Disneyland or the grocery store? Like, I mean, you want to freak out and just scream and find them. All right, she lost Jesus as a little boy. She lost Jesus on the cross. She saw her son die. Imagine the painful moments that she experienced. But every step of the way, Mary responded with faith. When she could have responded with fear, when she could have taken matters into her own hand, she trusted in the Lord. I have a question for you, and I want to close with this question. Do you see what Mary sees? Do you see what Mary sees? Do you see an anxiety-inducing event... (laughs) Or do you see that God has a plan and something at work in your life? Do you see what Mary sees? When everyone else sees drama and fear and anxiety and chaos, she sees faith. Do you see that even in the midst of your chaos, that God is at work in your story? Even in the midst of loneliness, God is there. Even in the midst of relational drama, God is there. Even in the midst of divorce, God is there. Even in the midst of battling cancer, God is there. He is with you. He is walking with you. In fact, he has experienced the same emotion and feelings and temptations that you have. Mary sees God at work, and she gives us an example of how to live by faith. And it's simply this, to believe what God has spoken. Believe what God has spoken. You know, there's no magic formula to faith. You know, anytime we try to make faith a formula, we turn our faith into a religion. We try to make something that is supposed to be dynamic and relational, and we try to create steps in order to get to God. Do you know that is the very definition of what it means to be religious? To work your way towards a God when God actually sent Jesus to us. Every step of the way from the beginning of creation to the end of Revelation, the gospel story is God coming to us. God being in our midst, God being in our mess, and God speaking to us. There is no magic formula to faith. Sometimes faith in an uncertain moment is simply putting one foot in front of the other and walking towards Jesus. You know, I've said this for many years, that faith in the Bible isn't one giant leap. It isn't this aha moment where you just cross over. Oftentimes faith is tiny daily decisions. And over the course of your lifetime, that is what great faith actually is. It's putting one step in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. Many people want God to speak like, they, like, they, like God spoke to Mary, that, that God's word will never fail. But here's the thing, God has already spoken. You know, sometimes I have people come to me and they want a word from God. And I ask them if they read the Bible. And I said, no, I don't read the Bible. I said, why would God trust you with a second word if you've never believed the first word? of the way God speaks to us is through his written word. God has already given us 
a word. He's given us a word to trust and a word to put our faith in. And I want to read some of those words that God has given us today. I want you to stand with me this morning. I just want you to receive these as our worship team comes up. We're going to close in a song in a moment. But I want to remind you of some things that God has spoken. Some words that God has already given you. Some words that you need to claim for your own life and accept for your own life. And maybe this is a moment for you just to say to God, once again, I believe in you and I trust in you. What has God spoken? John 1, it says, I am a child of God. Paul says this in Ephesians that I am God's workmanship, that God created me to be a masterpiece and created you to be a masterpiece. First John says this, I am totally and completely forgiven. When you come to know Jesus, there is no sin in your life. And you, you've repented and you are clean and you are washed free. You have no guilt and you have no shame. John also says this, that I am a friend of Jesus. Jesus is not only my Lord and Savior, but he's also my friend. Corinthians says, I am a whole new person with a whole new life. I'm a place where God's spirit dwells. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Imagine that God had traded a physical temple for a spiritual temple from one on the Mount in Jerusalem to the one that is in your own life, that your body and your heart and your soul is a temple where God's spirit dwells. He is inside of you. So you don't have to go to a temple. You are the temple. I am created in God's likeness. I am a citizen of heaven. Man, we need to be reminded of that. And I am greatly loved. I'm a child of God. See, when we see the Christmas story as all calm and bright, sometimes it distances us from reality. But when we see it through the eyes of a trusting teenage girl, our faith can be renewed. Our lives can be renewed because the stories in the Bible are much more like our lives than we realize. This is what I wanna do as we close. I want you to repeat the same prayer or the same words that Mary said. And I want us to do this together. And if you're here today and, and, and you're at a, a moment in your life, a place in your life where you need to trust in Jesus in a circumstance, in an emotion, in a, in, in a relationship, then let these words come from your heart and mean them deep down in your heart. I want you all to repeat after me what Mary said. I am your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world to show us a better way to be with us and to lead us through the messiness of our life and the chaos of our life. And Lord, I pray as we go through this season, God, that we respond to people, not with fear, but with faith. And we respond to you ultimately with faith, God, that we believe in you and we trust in you. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your name. And everyone said, amen. amen.